This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, February 27th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Later this hour, a profile of Thomas F. Mac McClarty. He first met Bill Clinton in kindergarten in Hope. Later, he'd be President Bill Clinton's first chief of staff at the White House. Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History will guide us through McClarty's time in Arkansas and D.C. First, no woman received venture capital in Arkansas in 2021, and only one person of color in the state received an investment, according to Capital Scan 2021. The study's results are not different from other parts of the nation. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports that although women-founded businesses performed better than male-founded businesses, according to First Round Capital, and black women outpaced other demographics in business creation in 2018, according to the Women's Foundation of Arkansas. Lack of funding remains an issue. The report also highlighted signals of economic revitalization of Pine Bluff, a city which is being recognized for its sale tax initiative and its black-owned businesses. Customers can see dough being kneaded through the plexiglass surrounding the Rockin' Bakery's kitchen. After it's been rolled, beaten on the countertop and shaped, it's laid to rest on speed racks on rotation for its turn in the oven. Seven people run the bakery, and Amara Baker, its owner, watches the rehearsed preparation. So uh, here we specialize in anything that is artisan, fermented overnight. So we are really known for brush buns, and then also for anything that is uh, sourdough or baguette. So back there, they are in full production of the sourdough. And on the left side, they're still baking some of the items. The bakery trains and employs neurodiverse individuals, called cadets, who then run the operation. The still-life bread and fruit painting she painted as a teenager hangs on the wall to the left of the door. Baker's mother sent it to her when she became an entrepreneur. I have to say it was really crazy uh, because I come from corporate with really no intention of becoming an entrepreneur. Yes, I grew up in an entrepreneur family. My father was always a business owner and all of that. And I, from, you know, since I was little, I was always selling, making stuff to sell, but I never had that idea. It didn't bother me to work for someone. Baker started her business in 2015 and eventually became a senior advocate and Right to Start, a nonprofit organization with the goal of expanding entrepreneurial opportunity. Baker says this is done through business founders learning from each other's mistakes and sharing advice. And now I'm also mentoring and coaching the other advocates on our team to see how we can continue removing those barriers because they, they haven't changed. I mean, we're still talking about access to capital, the need to streamline the process, the proliferations of licenses and fees that sometimes you may say, well, that's not too much. But when you begin added little by little, it becomes so costly and expensive to open a business. Before Baker began to build her business, she worked in a corporate setting. Baker says the hurdle she jumped as a woman and person of color in her former career prepared her for starting a business. Although Baker knew what to do, she found the process of navigating permits, grants, and licenses overwhelming. Baker says being a social entrepreneur opened her eyes to inequalities for female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color. It's kind of not really fair, but I always believe that if you know the rule of the games, you can play it better. 
local because I knew that the odds were against me. So, okay, that means that I have to have answers before even they ask. So I always went over prepared to those kind of things. And I also intentionally looked for female loaners. Of the 11 businesses in 2021 receiving venture capital funding in Arkansas, not one was a woman-owned business, and only one person of color received a venture capital investment. That's one of the statistics in the University of Arkansas's 2021 Capital Scan, a report tracking capital flow across the state. The scan also found about 90% of seed funding went to male white business founders. Tiffany Henry is an instructional designer in the Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the U of A. So instructional designer means essentially a creator of programs that helps grow entrepreneurs in Northwest Arkansas and the state. Henry worked on the capital scan, and for her, the results are not quite surprising. I think working in the ecosystem, we have a lot of anecdotal evidence and stories from friends that have experienced disparities in accessing resources, um, specifically capital, but it's another thing to actually see the numbers on the page, and it's glaring, the differences. The report included geographic disparities. Northwest Arkansas received most of the venture capital. Only two cities outside of the region had these deals. Also, the bulk of angel and seed investments were made in the northwest and central regions. Henry says the study points to other issues, such as lack of mentorship or personal networks. I think the question that I always wonder is how come we're not talking about rural Arkansas more? Um, and why aren't we sharing all of the incredible resources that we have in these urban areas of the state with our rural counterparts. I'm a big believer that when we make connections and distribute resources, we all grow. Inequalities in access to venture capital are not only in Arkansas. In 2022, female-founded companies garnered 2% of the total capital invested in the U.S., even though these investments for women have been trending up, according to PitchBook. I think if anything I would just want to share or reinforce or reiterate is that women of color in the workforce are capable and we're competent. I think that sometimes that gets lost in translation when you're spending a lot of your time trying to catch up or prove your worthiness. You're not always able to do, you know, an excellent job on the task at hand because you're so busy trying to lay the groundwork when the qualification in most cases is the fact that I'm in this space means that I deserve to be here and I have something to contribute. This is Kristen Smith, and she is the program and communication specialist for the Arkansas Women's Foundation. The foundation started the Women's Economic Mobility Hub. It is a six-month program, and 10 black women-owned businesses are awarded $5,000 in unrestricted capital. The research just shows that they're not getting the funding, so we stepped in on a financial front, but then also knowing that knowledge is power, and that goes a long way. So putting these women um, in a cohort where they are learning some of these key skills and then building a community, which I think that that's the piece that keeps giving.
Another organization in Arkansas wanting to create more space for female entrepreneurs, investors, and business mentors is Tech Health Hub FemHealth Founders. Elizabeth Pringer helped establish the organization, and she says women in the workplace have different standards like juggling caregiving responsibilities. Pringer says FemHealth Founders wants to create a more welcoming ecosystem to female founders, investors, and mentors. We need more women investors investing in women companies here in Arkansas and throughout the heartland, obviously that is clear from the capital scan. It's not just an anecdotal, like this would be nice. It's more of a, this has to happen. Otherwise the research is going to continue to show the same statistics and that's not good enough. For Pringer, as FemHealth Founders matures, the entrepreneurial ecosystem around it improves, but the financial resources are not there to do the larger scale work. Despite this, FemHealth Founders is launching its first accelerator program to see what resources female founders need. More investment is needed in these types of scalable businesses that women are creating in Arkansas and in our, our heartland. We're here doing the work. We're just not being invested in right now. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. Ahead, there's plenty of mystery surrounding the songwriter and musician Jan Deck. The musician behind the project, he has a very distinctive voice. It's not conventionally tuneful necessarily, but he knows exactly what to do with it. The voice is often the lead instrument. The Ozark Free Music Society will present Jan Deck in concert on Mount Sequoia this weekend. We'll learn more later on today's show. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season on Saturday, March 11th at Walton Arts Center. Performing music from Sona's debut album release featuring groundbreaking new music that blends acoustic and electric sounds, including works by Paul Haas, Trevor New, and more. After intermission, Sona musicians will raise the roof with the joyously beautiful Symphony No. 3 by Brahms. Tickets and information at sonamusic.org. The education reform package, championed by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, was made public last week and is moving now through the state legislature. The bill passed the Senate with Senator Jimmy Hickey being the only Republican to vote against it. Democrat Senator Linda Chesterfield told KARK Channel 4's Capital View program this weekend she wants the process of passing the bill to move slower. You know, we're in an era now where people really do need and want a voice. Uh, so all we had to do was slow it down. The votes are there. We kept making the point. Let us talk to our superintendents. Let us talk to the people back home. Let us be able to fairly share with them what's in the bill so that they will have an opportunity to then digest it and give us the comments. Senator Chesterfield said she's also concerned the bill lacked due process for teachers facing termination and questioned if there was enough money to fund the provisions in the bill. Republican Representative Keith Brooks says he trusts the Department of Finance and Administration and the Bureau of Legislative Research to make sure the numbers add up. Uh, very confident in what DFNA has put together. Have also been in con uh, communication with BLR as well to, to make sure that those two, I don't know, that, that those entities uh, were consistently meeting with each other to make sure that they're bouncing numbers back and forth uh, and come up with a number that is working for all Arkansans. The education bill now moves to a House committee this week. The Fayetteville School Board will interview two additional candidates to be the next superintendent. The decision came after a special board meeting late on Friday. The board will meet with Janine Porter, 
the current Chief of Marketing, Communications, and Strategic Initiatives for the Irving Independent School District in Irving, Texas, and Jonathan Mulford, the current Deputy Superintendent of Operations for the Springfield Public Schools in Springfield, Missouri. Both candidates were among the original group of six applicants who were selected to be interviewed by the school board during the first round of Zoom interviews. After a special meeting Friday, the Crawford County Library Board is appointing Eva White to be interim director. The appointment comes after the resignation of Deidre Grismilla from the position. Talk Business and Politics learned the former director will be paid nearly $41,000 in severance pay and kept on the county's insurance plan through August. The county had originally said details of the severance package could not be made public because of a non-disclosure agreement, though an NDA is not allowed in Arkansas when public funds are involved. Gas prices in Arkansas are lower today than a week ago. The website GasBuddy reports the average gallon of gas in Arkansas today is $2.98, about a nickel cheaper than last Monday. That price is 22.5 cents lower than a year ago today. Owens Corning is planning to build a new facility in Russellville. The Toledo-based manufacturer announced this morning the 150,000-square-foot facility that will create an expected 50 new jobs over the next two years. This is the third expansion in Arkansas the company has announced since February of 2021. The other two projects are in Fort Smith. Both Arkansas Razorback indoor track teams are, again, SEC champs. The women and men claim conference championships Saturday at the Randall Tyson Track Center in Fayetteville. All kinds of numbers associated with these championships. It's the ninth consecutive SEC title for the women, 13th conference championship overall, the most indoor SEC championships for any women's program. It's the fourth straight title for the men and the 26th SEC trophy overall. Combined, it's the 10th time Arkansas has swept team titles at the SEC indoors. Overall, the 33rd sweep for the Razorback men and women in SEC championships, a feat accomplished another 19 times in cross-country and four times in outdoor track. The Razorback women's basketball team heads into this week's SEC tournament with 20 wins. The Razorbacks defeated Texas A&M yesterday, 78-65. And the University of Arkansas Symphony Orchestra in concert tonight at the Faulkner Performing Arts Center. The concert, titled Fate, is free and open to the public and will include a performance of Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 4. Performance begins at 7.30 and will also be streamed live on the University of Arkansas Music YouTube page. If you've been a good person and just made things better uh, for your family and, and your community and, and, and your friends, you, you've had a good and meaningful life. Before I tell people, Randy, about you, tell us about what we heard. Well, I would say those were probably words to live by. Um you know, it, the, today's story uh, profile is about a very successful businessman and politician who's from Arkansas. And you know the expression, I think it was Leo DeRocher who said, nice guys finish last. Mm-hmm. Not true in this case. Now, before we go further, I will tell people you're Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. And as we do most Mondays, we're going to go through a bit of Arkansas history with archives. Yes, and a profile. Yes. And today it's Thomas F. McClarty, better known as Mac. We're going to talk about his journey 
from Hope, Arkansas to the White House. Does that sound familiar? That is a trajectory that we are familiar with, yes. Yes, that we have, we have talked about before, and there's a reason. Uh, Mac McClarty and Bill Clinton, same age, grew up together in Hope, Arkansas. Um, and here's kind of a funny small uh, state story. They both went to the same kindergarten. Uh, years later, uh, Mike Huckabee did too, but it oh was Miss Mary's kindergarten in Hope. And it was a one-room schoolhouse in the backyard of Miss Mary's house. And the reason I know that is Miss Mary was my great aunt. Wow. And my brother and I used to spend summers there and play in that schoolhouse. Had no idea it had such uh, a history. You know, of course, Bill Clinton and Mac McClarty's paths crossed throughout their lives, still do. But um, last week I was able to talk to Mr. McClarty from his uh, Washington office, and I asked him about his early years in Hope. It was a Norman Rockwell-type existence. Uh, it was... Uh, after World War II, there was great optimism in the country, great energy in the country. My father had returned from World War II. Uh, you're right. I, I did attend Miss Mary's kindergarten. can still remember it. And I had some wonderful classmates, including Bill Clinton, among many others. Um, and that, that kind of fact kind of underscores that, that I just was so fortunate to get just a really quality education in grade school, high school, uh, and junior high. Uh, the teachers were exemplary, and just but but just more fundamentally, hope was such a sense of community. People cared about each other. They rooted for you. Uh, my parents were such wonderful role models, loving, caring parents that never pushed me to do anything, but always supported me and really emphasized not only family and faith and, 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 and those very fundamental pillars of our country, but also the worth and dignity of each individual. And uh, it just was a remarkable, wonderful place to grow up. So his father owned a car dealership, and so I'm assuming that's how McClarty mm -hmm. has his interest in business. But I really wanted to know about how he became his interested in politics, and uh, he had this story. Uh, my, my dad was interested in politics, but not real active. Uh, I did get a taste of it when I was about 10 years old. My father... Uh, Francis Cherry, who, who ran for governor, uh, was on a Presbyterian church board with my father, uh, Governor Cherry, candidate Cherry at that time, was from Jonesboro. And he came to our home in Hope, I can still remember it, and the driver of candidate Cherry was none other than David Pryor, also a Presbyterian from Camden. Little did I know, little did I know, on that fateful day, I met two future governors of Arkansas, Francis Cherry and David Pryor. Now, he's a University of Arkansas alum, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. He was president of the student body, mm. uh, studied business. And um, when he was 
president of the student body his senior year, he started a speaker series. Uh, I, it was called the Symposium. And we have in the archives uh, continued symposiums. It, it was a tradition that, that continued oh, wow. throughout the years. But I found an interview uh, with college senior president of the student body, uh, Mac McClarty. He was interviewed by, of course, Jim Pitcock. Uh, this was 1968, and this is about the first symposium. I understand that uh, you contacted these speakers you wanted, and uh, you actually said that you would pay them, and you invited them down to speak before you actually sold any tickets at all, and you were in the whole $20,000 before you even started. Is well, that correct? that's basically correct, Jim. Uh, this is one thing that we had to do. Uh, we couldn't quibble over money because we didn't have anything to offer concretely, no past record. So we shot from the hip to use a trite term, and uh, we didn't pinch pennies because once you get up in the fifteen, twenty thousand dollar bracket, there's no sense worrying about a couple of a hundred dollars. Uh, we were twenty-two thousand dollars. We had that many expenses that had to be paid without a ticket sold, but we did have faith that uh, the student body would buy the tickets if we got the speakers. And of course, you had to get the speakers first to get to sell the tickets, and we've ended up making uh, some profit, not anything large, but we have made some profit. Who were some of the outstanding speakers? Well, uh, of course, Senator or ex-Senator Barry Goldwater uh, on the Republican side, along with Gerald Ford, House Minority Leader, uh, Mike Mansfield. Of course, in this two-week period, Senator Edward Brooke is a very distinguished statesman. Uh, Anson Mount, you mentioned from Playboy, Major Pete Dawkins, who will be here tonight uh, while we're conducting this interview, former Rhodes Scholar and Heisman Trophy winner in football. Uh, Robert Vaughn, star of the man from Uncle, is represents the dovish view of Vietnam. David Brinkley, a news commentator. Bill Lawrence of ABC, who is a, a tremendous speaker. Uh, Ex-Governor Orville Faubus, the uh, Honorable Winthrop Rockefeller. That's uh, that's about as close as I can get to the list. There is Joe Pine. I don't guess I should leave him out. He might come back at me. Well, of course, Goldwater, Mansfield, and uh, House Minority Leader Ford, they will speak in the spring session, so they won't be included in the special program. Will right. I, we tried to work around this. Uh, of course, Congressman Ford was supposed to appear, but he had Social Security legislation on the floor, and you can't hardly ask him to come here. Uh, we tried to group it in a two-week period, not for just television purposes, but to get the full impact to the student body of exactly what was taking place in your first year. And uh, we're very pleased that we got as many speakers as we could in this two-week period. This is so interesting because, you know, a year or so ago, we had that clip from Mike Huckabee when he was a senior, yeah, in, high senior school. in high school. So some of these interviews you get, you don't know until What's gonna happen? years later. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you could tell he was going places. Right. He always thought big, I would yeah. think. Uh, but while he was here at the university, he he met his soon-to-be wife, uh, Donna K. Cochran, and she was also a business major. And they 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 married right after graduation. But it's funny that uh, McClarty graduated summa cum laude. He was third in the mm. class. Well, guess who was second right ahead of him? Donna. <laughs> and uh, he joined the family business, which, by the way, now is a fourth-generation transportation company. Mm -hmm. uh, he also ran for and won a seat in uh, the State House of Representatives. 
And uh, by the way, he was 23 at the wow. time. Wow. And in 1974, he became chairman of the state Democratic Party. Now, think about 1974 and what happened that year. So that would have been the year that Fanny Fox jumped, into the, Mills. jumped into the title basin. That's right. She was a, an exotic dancer. Yes. Who Wilbur Mills was having an affair with. Yes. And it became a national news story. That's correct. And he admitted to being an alcoholic mm -hmm. and went into treatment. So Mac McClarty was sort of dealing with that. And I found an interview with him uh, discussing, let's see, he was with KATV's John Hudgens and talked about Representative Mills' problems. Here's a man who has served us well for 34 years, and I, I would hope and think that everyone would be deeply concerned about his physical well-being and about what medical reports are going to indicate uh, about his health. Should the incident cause Congressman Mills to lose power, what do you think state Democrats would do? John, first of all, at this time, I think it would be uh, somewhat unfair to speculate too much on that subject, simply because Mr. Mills and those that are close to him are deeply concerned about his health. Uh, he is is troubled by it. He went into Bethesda under uh, voluntarily, uh, and I think the medical reports will, will shed some light on that. As far as what state Democrats would do uh, under that hypothetical situation, legally I don't know that we have any particular course or, or precedent to follow. I don't know that we have any uh, set pattern. He dealt with with it, as you could tell, yeah. quite well. Um Moving on, I found more in the archives. And two years later, in 76, he was named uh, by the JCs as one of the young men of the year. So once again, the outstanding men of 76 are Dr. Robert Harold Pfizer, Jr., Thomas uh, Mac McClarty, and Eddie Powell. And they'd certainly deserve a lot of My favorite stat here is he's named Young Man of the Year five years after he was elected to public office. That's right. I mean... Yeah, a little ironic. You're, you're on a pretty good trajectory at this point. A little overachiever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's... Hey, speaking of overachieving, yes. let's move on to 1983 and let's listen in on uh, a board meeting of Arc Lagasse and he was named chairman and chief executive officer of Arkla, which, by the way, was a Fortune 500 national uh, natural gas company. And last, uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Mac McClarty. Uh, Mac, in addition to being a, a good board member, has also been a great friend for years. He's a native of Hope, Arkansas, a great and varied background, and it's our pleasure. Uh, to announce him as the president of Arkansas Louisiana Gas Company effective today. He'll join us on June 1. I hope you'll help me well. You mentioned it was a Fortune 500 company, but it had it wasn't as big as it was going to be no. at this point. No. Yeah. During his tenure, it, it grew uh, to be the nation's largest natural gas distributor uh, with customers in 11 states. Wow. Uh, and, you know, extensive exploration and, and pipeline operations. But here's, here's kind of a funny story. Um, in TV news, at least at KATV, 
when there was a big event, especially a person, we would do a profile. Mm-hmm. We called it a backgrounder. That to you give sort us of back. looked at, yeah, sure. You know, it's like, right, how did this, this person get this here? This is Mac McClarty. What it's, it's sort of like an obit before somebody dies. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. It's you know, sort of like Mac McClarty. This is your life. I was going to say it's Ralph Edwards. Yes, but mm. in this case, it's Bob Steele. Right. <laughs> Mac McClarty has shown a propensity for business and politics all his adult life. A 1968 honor graduate from the University of Arkansas, his degree is in business administration. As a senior, he was president of the student body. A Hope native, McClarty captured a seat in the State House of Representatives in 1970 and served one term. That same year, he founded a leasing company which grew to be a major regional truck and finance leasing corporation. From 1974 through 1976, McClarty was chairman of the state Democratic Party and served as a member of the Democratic National Committee. He was treasurer for the successful gubernatorial campaigns of David Pryor in 1974 and Bill Clinton in 1978. All right, so right now we're in the mid-1980s. Right, and he's spending his time uh, running ARCLA, but he's also, because of his experience in politics, uh, he gets uh, the attention of George H.W. Bush, dad. Mm -hmm. And... um, he is named to the uh, National Petroleum Council. Uh, you know, of course, Bush was defeated in 1992 by none other than... His kindergarten mate. Yes, Bill Clinton. <laughs> so this is a great story. Here comes the phone call. Then when President Clinton was elected, uh, to my surprise, he asked me to serve as chief of staff. And kind of my story, Randy, is when... A lifelong friend, beginning at Miss Mary's kindergarten, someone who you've known those years, you've supported his governorship, helped found the new Democrat movement, the centrist Democrat movement. That's really what he ran on. And here's the president-elect asking you to help him, support him, uh, and support the country. You know, the, the right answer is I'm honored, and yes, sir, I'll be I'll be I'll be very privileged to serve. I just think that would be a tough job. Oh, it's got to be. And twenty four seven. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, in some ways, I guess you could say it's a thankless job. Maybe I would think so. Yeah. I mean, you have to deal with a lot and think about it. The they're coming into the White House after a long series of years. With Republicans, twelve straight, two yes. two Reagan terms, and, and the first President Bush. That's right. So he talks here about the adjustments they had to make. Bill Clinton, Governor Clinton, came to office after twelve years of Republicans being in the White House with Ronald Reagan and then George H. W. Bush. So that was a huge transition, where you've got another party coming in. A uh, new president, younger president from the small state of Arkansas, you know, was pretty well known nationally, but not as well as some people who have run for, for, for president. So there was a lot to do. And, and boy, when we first started in 1993, including the economic plan, because as James Carville had famously said, it was the economy stupid. And uh, so we concentrated on the, the economy and economic plan, the budget deficit. And, and so forth, and we were able to pass that. 
but the president also had to step on the world stage and meet other world leaders, many of whom he met for the first time. Bill Clinton was pretty pretty broad gauged, having uh, very broad gauged, having having gone to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, as a governor in Arkansas. He had had a lot of trade missions. I mean, he was a really broad gauged person in the world, but uh, it's not quite the same as serving like you are in the Senate or, or in President Bush's case, having been vice president and ambassador to China. So we had that facet, but you also had the press. You had to get to know the Washington press, even though we'd been through the campaign. You had to make sure people that brung you, as the old saying goes, those that voted for you, supported you, felt they were remembered and were part of things. But you also had to broaden that because now, you know, Bill Clinton was president of the United States of America, i.e. representing every American. You know, when you're chief of staff, you're dealing with policy, you're dealing with personnel, you're dealing with the press. Again, yes. I think it's a never-ending, thankless job. Yes. And he did it for 18 months. Uh, yeah, which is a long time. Right. And think about what was accomplished in those 18 months. Uh, he worked on the deficit reduction plan, mm-hmm. first time there was a balanced budget. Uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement. NAFTA. Uh, yep. The Family Medical Leave Law and the landmark welfare reform legislation. Mm. That had 6.8 million people to move from welfare to work. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Especially for 18 months. Yeah. I can't imagine getting that much done in a year and a half. No. Um, you know, he also organized the 1994 Summit of Americas. Mm. It was in Miami. So, um, you know, he took that role on from January of 1993 to July of 1994. So it was an intense year and a half, to say the least. And you have to keep your wits about you and keep your perspective because it's just such a fast-paced, demanding. Uh, you're going to have UFOs, as I refer to them, unidentified objects after the Chinese <laughs> balloon and others. But what I really mean is unforeseen occurrences. I mean, you're going to have your day and week all lined out, and then something, you're going to have a hurricane in Florida or an international incident in, in Russia or or an earthquake in Syria, some tragedy, or Katrina. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to have these things come in unexpectedly that you have to deal with immediately. And I think that's what struck me, Randy, about the White House. Even though I'd had these experiences, it's it just the breadth of the issues and the pace was so much more intense. And, you know, you're a student of government. You think government doesn't move very fast and, and legislatively, that that's true, but the truth of it, my experience was, and I think most people, particularly working in the White House, that the decision-making process was much more accelerated than, than I had found it to be in the private sector because you, you had to get ahead of decisions and, and, and make those decisions uh, even though you might not have perfect facts. But um, I want to hear from one one more person. Okay. All right. Um, his former White House colleague, now anchor and host of Good Morning America, ABC, uh, George Stephanopoulos, uh, wanted to just give a comment 
uh, about his his old colleague. And this is George um, just sent this in today uh, from New York from the set of Good Morning America. Mac McClarty is about the most decent man I ever met in politics. Supremely organized, kind, and sneakily smart. George Stephanopoulos now has been on Ozarks at Large. Hey, so yeah, short and sweet, but hey, I think it sums up Mac McClarty. So I guess the whole point to this segment is that sometimes nice guys do finish first. Right. And that nice guy this time is Mac McClarty. Randy Dixon, also a nice fellow. Thank you. <laughs> we'll talk again next week. Thanks. I'll see you then. The Freshgrass Music Festival returns to the Momentary in Bentonville May 19th and 20th, featuring award-winning artists Camp, L. King, Mavis Staples, Sierra Farrell, the Del McCory Band, and more. Tickets at themomentary.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Saturday night, there is a rare chance to see a unique musician in person. Jandek will be at Clap Auditorium on Mount Sequoia as a guest of the Ozark Free Music Society. If you aren't aware of Jandek, well, that makes sense. But if you are aware, and until now you didn't know the artist would be playing his first live show since 2019 in Fayetteville, you're likely very excited. The enigmatic Jandek has released more than 150 records since the late 70s, gives very few interviews, and often performs without much, if any, announcement beforehand. Recently, we asked Nathan Riggs and Austin Cash, co-founders of Ozark's Free Music Society and co-promoters of Saturday Night's Concert, to come to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to discuss the show and the artists. Very sort of how you come into it. Like, do you find the mythology first or do you hear the music first? Um, hearing the music first without context can be – you probably won't – get it necessarily until you kind of find out about the mystique surrounding the whole thing. Like I first became aware of it through the songs in the key of Z. I think that's how I found out about it. Um, book. Well, I had the CD, the companion CD, um, that sort of famous 90s catalog of outsider music. And, you know, it told, like, in a paragraph the story of, at the time when it came out, nobody, he hadn't performed, and he had been around for, like, you know, 20 years. He hadn't performed. Nobody for sure knew who he was. We knew... Texas, you know, Houston is where the stuff ships out from and where you send the money order to or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how you sum it up. It's, uh, it just kind of comes to you uh, when the time is right. I guess that's what we're trying to accomplish here.
And then I worked at Block Street Records, which got a copy of the album Blue Corpse on an LP, and it was signed some uh, college radio station in maybe Washington or something. And so I looked into that, and I found out that he was this guy who made really weird, um, tenuously folk records <laughs> and never could sell any of them, but would send them in uh, large quantities to college stations in the U.S. And some of them would play it and some of them wouldn't. Yeah, I think something that Jandek does well, you know, the Jandek project does really well um, is the – the musician behind the project, he has a very distinctive voice that's not conventionally tuneful necessarily, but he knows exactly what to do with it. The voice is often the lead instrument. I going down to the beach. I gonna think he's your teacher. I think that is a foundational element of rock and roll and folk music. It's understanding how to use that really personal instrument of your voice in a way that's distinct to you. I think that is what can draw you in. Okay, let's go back to the mystery, the enigma that surrounds Jandek, because what we think we know collectively is that it's a pseudonym. We think we know it's this gentleman in Houston. Hasn't given an interview, at least as Jandek, since, what, 1980-something? Yeah. In the mid-'80s. Yeah, there's like— there was, one, there was one text one, but he's only ever given one, like, audio right. interview. Right. We also know that uh, did not perform live for a long time. And then there was this concert in Europe, which was unannounced and was never confirmed that it was him, that we kind of knew it was him, right? I mean, there's all this sort of ephemera of mystery around him. I think it's it's kind of by – you never know what was – happenstance and what was purposeful with the Jandek story, um, I feel like Jandek avoided traditional forms of um, of publicity, of music publicity. I don't know if that's he avoided it or he just didn't know what it was. <laughs> you don't know. But in avoiding all of the things that build uh, a brand or something like that, kind of did the most perfect version of that imaginable, um, though it took, you know, 20-something years probably to really formally pay off necessarily. Um, But yeah, because you don't know, you never know what you know for sure. And with the rise of the internet, it felt like a lot of the mystery was getting, I don't know, maybe spoiled. But then it becomes more confounding. Like we're in a position now where uh, mainly Austin is is our email guy. 
But Austin communicates with the record label Corwin Industries all the time now, and it's no less mysterious yeah, the more so we do it. So, yeah, I was going to ask, if with all this, this sort of unknown about it, how do you book this artist? We just asked. We just sent an email and did not expect a response. At all? Yeah, and then I think like a week and a half later, it was just, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, we'll do it. So is there a writer? Is there any sort of... You know, there actually is not... There There were like... Um, technical considerations that um, have to be um, met, but there's no, like, he doesn't want, like, Corwood does not, has not requested any, like, okay. Topa Chico's okay. for the green room or anything. <laughs> there's no, there's no deli plate. Yeah, he's much, or they, right, Corwood Industries, because that's who we communicate with, um, are much more concerned with the specifics of the performance like the audiovisual side of things, it really, you get the sense, I think, in these communications, how committed uh, the representative from Corwood is to the artistry itself. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what stood out to me. Um, and it's very, communication is very businesslike. Um, and it's all straight to the point, usually. usually. Usually, yeah. And it's very focused on the performance. Yeah, like, which is kind of inspiring. For me. They want to put on like a very specific and very good show. Jandek will perform at Clap Auditorium on Mount Sequoia Saturday night at 7.30. Nathan Riggs and Austin Cash, co-founders of Ozark Fee Music Society and co-promoters of the show, visit us at the Carver Center for Public Radio. You can find out more about the show and the Ozark Free Music Society at their Instagram, Ozark underscore FMS. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Songs. The gods were angry with me for loving you The gods were angry with me because they knew I stood at heaven's portals that was too high For any mortal such as I And so they took down the sun, the skies were gray And then the howling wind took you away And there was nothing I could do, for I could see It was because the gods were angry with me Jimmy Wakely was born in Mineola in Howard County, Arkansas on February 16, 1914. He was a movie-singing cowboy in that era's heyday, said to be recruited by none other than Gene Autry. Wakely became so popular, he even merited his own comic book. He later ditched the cowboy outfits, but his singing style remained smooth and polished throughout. Wakely's silky vocal style surely helped when he began singing duets with pop singer Margaret Whiting. Margaret Whiting was an established pop star in the 1940s before she recorded with country-western performer Jimmy Wakely as the 1940s ended. She was one of the first signees to Capitol Records by Johnny Mercer. Wakely and Whiting's very first session together produced the monster hit duet, Slippin' Around, written by Floyd Tillman. Slippin' Around was not only the beginning of a fruitful singing partnership between Jimmy Wakely and Margaret Whiting, it's been named among the first hit country music cheating songs, a fruitful niche in its own right. I'll Never Slip Around Again also became a hit answer song. Furthermore, the pairing of pop and country singers was a novelty at the time they began recording together, so the success of Wakely and Whiting spawned much imitation. 
Soon, Gene Autry and Dinah Shore run violent together, as well as the Andrews sisters with Red Foley and many, many others. church next Sunday morning. Let's kneel and pray side by side. Our love will grow on Sunday morning if we have the Lord as our guide. Through the week you love and laugh and labor Jimmy Wakely and Margaret Whiting sung duets together through the mid-1950s. They also performed together on numerous radio programs, including the Grand Ole Opry. Let's Go to Church Next Sunday Morning, heard here, was another notable hit for the duo. The Gods Were Angry With Me, which opened the program, was still another. In all, Wakely and Whiting would have 29 releases together. But the collaboration came to an end when Wakely left Capitol Records, the label he and Whiting shared. Wakely would have other duet partners. In fact, his first big hit was a 1948 duet with Mary Ford. But in either chart success or musical influence, none had the impact of the pairing of Wakely and Whiting. Southwest Arkansas native Jimmy Wakely died September 23, 1982, in Mission Hills, California. Here in its entirety is Slippin' Around by Jimmy Wakely of Mineola in Howard County, singing with Margaret Whiting. Slip around to be together, dear Slipping around Afraid we might be found I know I can't forget you And I've gotta have you near But we just have to slip around And live in constant fear Oh, you're tied up with someone else and I'm all tied up too I know I've made mistakes, dear But I'm so in love with you I hope someday I'll find a way To bring you back to me And I won't have to slip around To have your company I won't. 
Jimmy Wakely of Mineola in Howard County in southwest Arkansas, singing Slipping Around with his longtime duet partner, Margaret Whiting. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Executive producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas is underwritten by the Old Statehouse Museum in Little Rock, a museum of the Department of Arkansas Heritage. Arkansas, since 1998. Tomorrow on Ozarks, a different kind of education bill proposed at the Arkansas State Legislature, one that would make school board elections partisan. And I'm, I'm pretty certain I've served with Republicans, uh, Democrats, uh, Independents, Libertarians, probably some none of the above, and I cannot think of a time where anyone's party affiliation was an issue. Senate Bill 206 on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon, 7 p.m., on your smart speaker at ozarksatlarge.com and through our free podcast. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Red Star. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Matthew produced our program in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. KUAF and Ozarks at Large are supported by you, our listeners. And you can learn more about the ways your support matters at supportkuaf.com. Friday night, you were at Art Ventures. That's true. For the the third and final, for now, live Undisciplined event. Yes, really great conversation led by Dr. Karee Banton talking about the history of rice and uh, its impact on black culture and everyone else. It's really good conversation on that. And, of course, Arkansas is the leading rice producer in That's the United true. States. That's true. And then Saturday, thank you to Mike Day and our community engagement officer, Jasper Logan, for putting together a lunch hour yeah. at the town center in the middle of the black, uh, black-owned black NWA Business Expo. A lot of fun, a lot of people there. Yeah. Got a lot of story ideas. Yeah, that's good. That's that's exactly what we do here is we, we help tell stories. That's right. So uh, you'll be hearing some of those stories, and you'll hear, let's see, this Wednesday is the second Live Undisciplined event. Yes. And then the one with Rice will be in the future. That's right. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in for this Monday edition of Ozarks at Large. We are back tomorrow at noon and 7. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore.